always been asked, what is my favorite car? I've always said, the next one. Carol Shelby. I'm Blakely Thomas Aguilar, and this is Pop Culture Tech, an original podcast brought to you by VMware. Practical Invention is also one of the longest-running pop culture icons in history, the automobile. Cars were created to get us from point A to point B in a much more practical, efficient way. But what Henry Ford sparked with the Model T has transformed into something so much more epic. It's fashion on wheels. It's art in motion. It's the way we express our individualism and our place in a community. And thanks to the Transformers and Knight Rider, cars can even be celebrities and heroes. To kick off season two of our podcast, I am thrilled to have the opportunity to explore how we're blending our passion for cars with our passion for technology. We'll highlight the amazing digital innovations powering everything from infotainment systems to autonomous vehicles. But first, we're going to start at the beginning of the consumer journey, the technology innovation transforming the way we shop for and buy our cars. I couldn't think of anyone better to help us learn about these innovative shopping experiences than Sophie Seiwald, Managing Director of Mercedes-Benz I.O. Like around about six or seven years ago, no one was really talking about digital and what does it mean and start from the customer and, and back, uh, work backwards. And we started to learn what digitization actually means. And we also started hiring tech talent for the company. And it was for us quite a big change to go away, let's say, from the classic profiles you would be hiring for IT or business to really digital and tech profiles. Somehow that worked out quite well. We built up a pretty nice and decent hub in Singapore over the course of three or three and a half years. And then um, in the end of 2017, um, I got this great opportunity to join Mercedes-Benz AO. Back then we were only 50 employees or 70 employees and the target to grow to 400. And this is what happened over the last um, three years now. Um, We've been growing this amazing tribe called Mercedes-Benz AO. Mercedes-Benz I.O. has this powerful mission statement. I.O. stands for Input Output. We translate input from our customers into outputs of digital experiences. That's not our job, it's our passion. One of the most powerful examples of delivering these input output experiences is the car configurator. Mercedes-Benz's website submerges you in its world-renowned brand luxury. 360-degree views deliver an immersive experience right to your laptop or smartphone. And with a wide array of customizable options, you really can build the car of your dreams. And through its global partners, have it delivered right to your home. 
So the car configurator is one of our most visited, uh, say, uh, sections on the website. But ultimately, lots of people come to our site and we call it a little bit the dreamer journey. So people start configuring the car and see, okay, you know, what, how would the G-Wagon look like? How would that AMG look like? So it's a, it's a way to explore the cars that we have, right? So one thing is the front end, uh, what you see, but the other thing is the complexity uh, in the back end. And I say we're talking about years and years of engineering documentation and work that lies behind the configurator. So we uh, definitely, um, from a technical point of view, and let's not talk first technology, had a lot of uh, riddles to solve and problems to solve. But um, what we also, and that's the most amazing thing, I think, by combining this talent out of business, out of the vehicle product world, but also out of technology, we were able to... Uh, by experimenting, be it with A-B tests, with different prototypes, um, with different uh, you know tests on how consumers would react, we were able to extremely simplify this whole car configurator experience. The success story would say is on our side, so we've increased our conversion rate dramatically, but also we've received lots of positive feedback, and people you know un- suddenly also understand our products better. They are being better guided through the whole process, and. Uh, Ultimately, people, you know, enjoy, this is what I always love most, people enjoy configuring a car and don't get confused or frustrated doing it, right? Our role model market would be China. In China, it's a kind of a a normal thing to do, but they also exactly know what they're buying because, you know, they've been seeing 1000 S-classes and G-wagons on the street and say, I want to have exactly their car. So, um, Basically, as simple as it sounds, so you basically can uh, configure a car, and it will uh, give you a list of cars which uh, you know are close to your dream configuration, giving you a nice price, and you can essentially most of the people would reserve the car and then get it delivered and then do the final transaction, for example, for a leasing contract and stuff like this at the dealership, but. You know, um, in China, the whole journey is completely digitized. It's possible and people are doing it. I say that was also one of my hypotheses, you know, is it will we be able to sell the whole portfolio? Now I'm talking really about car sets. Will we you know, sell the whole portfolio online or, you know, it's like S-Class and G-Wagon? Now, just as an example, too too big and too too valuable to just sell it online, but it somehow seems to be working um, out. If the the car description what you're buying is clear, the price is clear, and you think you make a good deal, then uh, everything seems to be possible. So yeah, it's happening. To deliver digital experiences like the car configurator, there's a massive amount of data collected across the entire journey, from the people building the cars, to the people buying the cars, and the people servicing the cars. And some seriously hard work needs to be done by some really big brains to transform all that data into actionable insights. Everyone talks about data and everyone says, yeah, you know, data is the new oil. We all need to have data. So uh, back then, a couple of years ago, actually, when I started, um, you know, what we what we figured out is when I asked the, the engineers, like, you know, so can you tell me, give me, can you give me some insights on your on your specific product or on your specific feature? Most of them would say, well, you know, 
difficult because uh, I need to ask somebody else to get the data to me. So let's start with the data journey. What we started to do was we had, let's say, a democratization of data in our organization. Um, that means that we have data analysts that are actively working together with the engineers to design and also implement um a certain um, uh, data points in order to collect the data that we actually need. So it's not just about random data, but it's just that anyone can you know, deal with the data. We really wanted to make sure that how we design our applications and how we deal with data, it actually turns out data that we need. So that's the first step. And uh, then basically you start pooling this data, but if you don't do anything with that, uh, that's also useless, right? So uh, to create the right stories and to create the right insights requires quite a long journey. So when we talk about <laughs> the data journey, we are still working on that. Right. Um, you cannot just hire a bunch uh, of data engineers or data scientists, even worse, right? And say, okay, guys, you know, now you're going to run some uh, beautiful um, um, uh, data use cases on our website and let's do some uh, great algorithms. It would be complete mess, right? So uh, a data journey for me is really a journey. Um, and it takes ages uh, if, uh, and a lot of uh, manpower and a lot of goodwill to turn all of your touch points to ways so it actually provides meaningful data you can read out of it. And also with the car configurator, only as an example, and we have many more of those examples, you know, it, it's not done from one day to the other or by hiring a couple of you know, folks who can do it. So if you're taking data training seriously, you should really talk about approach. Innovative technology experiences require passion, long-term strategy, and diligent fanaticism to transform ideas into success stories. I'm really um, extremely grateful that uh, we are able to talk about, you know, the success stories uh, also from Mercedes-Benz, oh, you know, to building software and, um, actually you know having the people in place and on the go who are um, passionate about mercedes-benz and passionate about technology uh, this is a rare opportunity and i'm super grateful that also mercedes has done this decision to to go that way and sees this basically as a you know also role model about how we can do things and um that uh, technology is actually changing the way of everything that we do and it will become more and more important to make sure we understand the technology and not give it up to a third party. I know many of my partners don't want to hear that, right? But um, ultimately, I know if technology is the core of your business, if you want to make it the core of your business, then you need to get your hands on it, you need to understand it and to have, you know, technology principles and uh, engineering cultures and really a, a focus on that. Uh, I do believe it's a game changer for the future and we should be doing much more of that. And I can only uh, warmly recommend it to anyone who you know is not yet sure if that's such a good idea. If I really need some software engineers, do I really need those people? Yes, you need them. Now that we've covered the buying experience, let's talk about the digital innovations inside the cars. I asked Sanjay Vishen, an expert in digital automotive platforms, to shine a little light on how far car technology has come and where it's going next. 
if you look at the the trajectory of smartphones, right, the phones were kind of isolated beings before. And then at, at some point when they start getting connected to the cloud, uh, like the iPhone did, um, that's when they became started becoming more interesting 20 years back. So now the, the, what the car looks like inside, if you break open a car, what happened, you, you see these ECUs, three big ECUs or boxes, let me call it boxes for now, um, connected to each other over some wiring and cables and stuff like that. And then there are large teams which build these ECUs. There are about 70 ECUs in a car today. And that, that, that is controlling the stuff like there are small ECUs, there are big ECUs. The small ECUs tend to be things which control your uh, automatic, automatic uh, braking systems. You know, when you apply brake very sharply, then it'll, it'll, it'll back off for a little while. So those little things are done also by small ECUs. And then you have these three big ECUs. One is connecting to the cloud, called the telematics unit typically, the infotainment system, which is driving all your uh, speakers and displays and and the phone and connectivity navigation. So that's an infotainment ECU. And then there is uh, the autonomous ECUs, which are assisting you if you have, um, if you're lucky enough to have a um, Tesla autopilot that's assisting you while you're hands-free. So um, what does it take to build one of these? Um, um, so I think that this is where the people have called the car, the computer on wheels happens is it's because of these, mainly because of these two ECUs. One is the infotainment ECU and the other one is the autonomous driving ECUs. The compute requirements in these two ECUs is so high now that you can think of them as being two little PCs from your desktop, you know, sitting inside these two ECUs. And then that, that leads to the amount of software which is now entering the car is because of these two ECUs having so much of compute needs that they need to be programmable. So, so they start looking like desktops inside a car now. And that's why, hence the term uh, computer on wheels. Speaking of a computer on wheels, let's talk about one of my personal favorite digital innovations, the infotainment system. You could break it down into um, so there are three or four big features of infotainment, um, what we call infotainment uh, features. One is uh, phone connectivity. So like typically in a, in a car, you have it's very sensitive to safety. So you have to have a, a particular form of hands-free phone connectivity. That's one part, part of infotainment. Then there is the regular audio and video uh, entertainment. Video can be playback video. In the olden days, it used to be the CD player playing back video and uh, movies. And now it's mostly streaming services coming over the cloud. Same thing with for audio also. Um, you need kind of, um, at least at the high end, you have fairly um, sophisticated immersive audio with uh, in, a, in an Audi. And some of the high-end Audis have about... 50 speakers in them. So the, the so that those would be inter, uh, entertainment related stuff, the audio and video piece. Uh, then there's navigation. We talked about navigation. That's that's always very important in a car because that's the purpose of the of a car. And then finally, um, I think what's changing with uh, more sophisticated infotainment is the way we interact with the car. So the, the user interface, and that's very interesting because the modalities of how you interact interact with the car is changing 
already changing and will change in the future even more. Uh, so things like touch, gestures, speech, you know, Alexa, you can use Alexa or for or Google or, or Apple for that matter. Uh, so all these are kind of pieces of uh, infotainment, the major pieces of infotainment. They're also little stuff. Today's digital car experiences are incredible, but there's so much more to come. From autonomous vehicles connected into smart cities, cloud, 5G, and machine learning are leading us into the digital future. 5G um, millimeter wave is uh, is a big thing. And just to explain it uh, to maybe people who aren't that familiar with it, uh, so 5G is... Uh, especially millimeter wave is is where you get a lot of bandwidth, a lot of uh, spectrum. And because of that, you can have, um, so like today the peak rates into a car are roughly one to two gigabit per second. So that's the bandwidth you can get into a car uh, at uh, 4G LTE. And 5G, if you enable it with this um, millimeter wave, then you can get uh, uh, from one to two gigabits all the way up to, you know, 10 gigabits. So you, you get about 10x the speed uh, for this for your connectivity. So that, that's one exciting thing. The other thing is, uh, as today, you can only connect to the cloud. So your car connects to a cloud and then, you know, you go on. Um, we're also working on things where you connect from cars. So you're connecting to an adjoining car, assuming that car can also talk, of course, if, if, it's, an, if it's an old um, Honda or whatever, <laughs> it needs to have that modem. If it can, if it has, then you'd like to talk to the car. Why would you like to talk to another car uh, on the road? Uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one of the reasons is that uh, for safety, because each day, you know, it's kind of a beacon saying, I'm here, I'm here. And, and it can tell you its GPS location. So with that, you can uh, figure out the you know, that I have a car or a potential standing car in the middle of a highway and things like that. Uh, so that's what we're working on is car to cloud with higher bandwidth. Once you enable this kind of bandwidth, like 10 gigabits per second into a car, then you can come up with just even more interesting applications. So for example, smart city guys are interested now because they're saying that we're going to all our intersections will now provide assist to the cars. So for example, these interse- smart interse- intersections in smart cities To help make this Jetsons-like future a reality, technologists are taking huge leaps forward using AI and machine learning. Machine learning has pervaded uh, both uh, autonomous driving uh, ECUs as well as uh, infotainment ECUs, and in general, the whole car systems. The biggest impact is obviously on the autonomous driving systems or ECUs. Um, Most of the Machine learning workloads are for perception. We use them for perception. So the, a car has, uh, when you're assisting a driver, you can have uh, from s- seven to 13 cameras. You have about uh, six or seven radars uh, facing outside. And then you have uh, a possibly a LIDAR. You can use, you see that on some of the Waymo, bar, Waymo cars um, uh, in, the, in the Bay Area. Um, so all these things are needed for perception of the environment. So these things come, in, these sensors bring this data into the car, this uh, ECU, and that's where most of uh, the algorithms are based on machine learning. And 
once these machine learning algorithms run on these um, sensor data, then they generate a certain view of the car of the environment around the car. Once they have done that, they have, then they also have to locate the vehicle within a certain within that map. And for that, they use uh, the you know good old GPS. Everything in life is somewhere else. And you get there in a car, E.B. White. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this episode on Cars Getting Smarter. Special thanks to Sophie Seiwald and Sanjay Vishen for joining our show and sharing their incredible insights. I'm Blakely Thomas Aguilar, and this is Pop Culture Tech. Our podcast is brought to you by VMware, the software that powers the world's complex digital infrastructure. Learn more at VMware.com. Have questions about today's episode or just want to talk about your favorite car innovations? Follow me at Blakely Ags and use hashtag popculturetech. Until next time.